0: Hi everyone. You have arrived at Characters on the Couch. I'm Jordana Horn, and I am here with my dear friend, Dr. Adam Stern. Hi there. We're going to be chatting all about analysis of fictional people. We've got a great episode for you today. We really do. We're, so as you know, this is Characters on the Couch. Today we are talking about a show that really, it's only slight exaggeration to say that would we have gotten through the year 1 of the covid <laughs> pandemic without it i don't think so ted lasso i mean ted lasso the, ted, ted lasso was an injection of happiness into our largely quarantined pre-vaccine lives and of course in any discussion of ted lasso our first point of discussion is going to be the man himself ted lasso and here dr adam stern is going to be competing with a rival practice. That's
1: right. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Andrew. No, this Dr. Might Sharon. Be the, I, go I'm ahead. Just, I'm just realizing this might be the first show we've done where there's a therapist character trying to do the same job as me. So I've never, I've never been in competition in the in the same way that we are that I am with with Dr. Sharon here. Now she's framed. I just just before we get into anything about Ted Lasso, the character, the show, the the therapist character is framed as as really ultra competent in almost like a mystical way people, they just sort of show people go into her office and come out like better you know that, and that's basically, how they, she's
0: like a, she's like a mechanic
1: yeah. She, she just fixes the problems, like really in a way that I look at it and I'm like, oh, this is, this is like a comic book movie for a therapist. This is like, I get to see a superhero therapist, you know, in action. Right. Anyway, so the premise of this show, well, Jordana, maybe, maybe you can tell us what the premise is broadly about, like, what's Ted doing, and then I'll get into, like, what are his symptoms and why would a therapist need to see him?
0: Ted is basically just a down-home, the stereotype of what used to be the, <laughs> the nice, innocent American guy who, for reasons that are somewhat convoluted, has been enlisted to become a football, as in soccer coach across the pond in England to a fictitious uh, premier league team, AFC Richmond. So he's been brought over um, even though he knows next to nothing about soccer and how it's played abroad because he's been brought over by a vengeful owner Rebecca, whose husband was the previous owner of the team, and now it is her goal in life to sabotage the team, which she is doing by hiring this coach. Little does she know, however, that Ted Lasso is the equivalent of secret sauce. Ted Lasso and his relentlessly upbeat and thoughtful and caring approach to coaching a team is something... That it turns out that no matter what sport you're involved in, you respond well to his team. His team members grudgingly and gradually all fall in love with him. Basically, everybody loves Ted, and Ted is very lovable. So I'm going to throw it back to you. What is Ted's problem?
1: Right. So the audience sees this gentleman. If this person was on your clinic list. There's a new referral that's just come in. He'd probably be described as a middle-aged Caucasian male, well-employed as a uh, football coach overseas, soccer coach, and going through a divorce, having some adjustment issues related to that, and most recently experiencing panic attacks. And that would be it. That would be all we would uh, be presented in terms of his two-liner, you know, like what's, what's the patient coming for help with? And then... I would Im- imagine that uh, as Dr. Sharon experienced the first time you meet with Ted you're right away just sort of taken aback by how upbeat he is relentlessly upbeat how many sort of references he makes pop culture references that you may or may not even understand how energetic he is how almost naive he is in in a in in the most wonderful way about the goodness of the world and and you know believing in things and 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 the journey being you know more valuable than the outcome all of those things that we we want to sort of impart in our children this is a guy that embodies that all the time so much so more so than anyone else I've ever met in in, in real life that you you wonder where does this come from what's going on? And then you you also try to dissect. Well, why is he having panic attacks? I mean, panic attacks happen; they are a very common disorder. And in fact,
0: triggered by triggered by what? What well are that, what are typical triggers?
1: This is a great question. So, panic attacks can happen from a, a trigger that is known to you. So, I'm afraid of flying. When I get into an airplane, I I'm, I'm using this metaphorically. I'm not, as far as I know, I'm not really afraid of flying. But you know, uh, you get. I was just telling you before the, before we started recording that I haven't been on a plane in years. <laughs> so
0: maybe, maybe, right. that so is, maybe you are maybe you am. just don't remember. But anyway, mo- but moving anyway, on. As, as
1: okay. an example, the royal eye, you know, you're afraid of flying, you get onto a plane and immediately – your sympathetic nervous system this is the part of your brain and and nervous system that is in charge of looking out for danger it's the part that would activate if if uh, when we were cave people if a tiger walked by the cave we'd be on guard right so uh, suddenly your heart's pounding getting ready for a fight or flight you know response your vision narrows sometimes your stomach sort of gets confused and upset uh, in this moment your blood pressures up you know it's that feeling of intense adrenaline, frankly. So that happens when it's provoked. When it trips into panic disorder is when you experience those same symptoms without the provocation that's clearly stemming from an adaptive, evolutionarily useful place. So in other words, if you start having a panic attack on the sidelines of your football game...
0: Hypothetically.
1: Hypothetically, that's not an adaptive response. That's a maladaptive response, right? And so that's something that a guy like Ted might seek help for, which he doesn't quite do overtly, but he does sort of backtrack into therapy once they assign this therapist to the whole team. He tries to win her over with his charms and ends up in this very complicated, convoluted uh, therapeutic alliance with her.
0: Right. So I would say, let's start with the fact that I know that you brought in yourself for me I know that when I'm in therapy I have to check myself before I wreck myself because <laughs> I go into therapy and I find that I really want to like ted entertain the therapist and sort of win the therapist over I want to be there's something in me that wants to be the therapist's favorite patient you know and that's really Ted's impulse that we've seen with Rebecca when he brings her these little biscuits and this this little box, right? It's some sort of device that he's established, but why?
1: Right. This is something that I think the show, you know, the show when it premiered took everyone by surprise. It's like, oh, that's a good show. I don't really want to watch a show about soccer, but like and I've never even, <laughs> like, watched Jason Sudeikis in, in anything that I can remember, like, loving. But this show is really good, you know, and he's mm-hmm. a creative force behind it. And I guess he's really good at this, and I like this character. I don't know why, but it's it's all all the characters. are You're, you're rooting for them, right? All right, so it starts out there, and you're wondering, what's this guy's deal? Why is he so effervescent? Why is he constantly... So optimistic and and sort of going, his engine is just going. And why is he trying to win people over so much? And wh- one thing that I thought they did so masterfully across two seasons, and this really became a focus in season two. And of course, as always, we're spoiling things here. So we're, yes, we've, we're, we're presenting the show at the end of season two certainly before season three's ever, you know, even been discussed as a release, you know, So we're considering that you've seen epi- uh, episodes from season ones one and two. So what they do masterfully in season two is start to explain some of the background here. So they just drop little hints across season 1. So there's a conversation where he's talking to Jamie Tart who's having his own father issues, dealing with a very abusive dad, emotionally abusive. And I think Jamie asks him, was your was your dad hard on you? And Ted Lasso says that he thinks his dad was probably just harder on himself than anyone else. And that's it. They they just sort of leave that thread there for episodes, several episodes. And there's another scene. It might be in season one. It might be in early season two. I, I'm not sure where they're at a bar and they're having a, an impromptu bet. This is probably maybe the most famous scene. I've seen it on my, the Facebook algorithm seems to think that I love this scene and I do. So, you know, either, <laughs> no, I, either I, it
0: wrong no. right.
1: No, maybe I, I love it because they keep showing it to me, or maybe I love it because they, they're inside my brain and they know exactly what I want to watch. But This scene where they're at the bar, they're playing a game of darts, and Rebecca, the owner of the team, and her ex-husband, who sort of emotionally tortures her, is there with his young new romantic interest or or wife, I'm not sure, and they, you know, almost in a uh, condescending way, Rupert Mann, who's the ex-husband, ex-owner, sort of challenges Ted Lasso to a game of darts thinking this guy's not going to know anything. And he, and they they make some sort of bet. And it's a wager that is really big, you know, uh, that, that if he wins, if Ted Lasso wins, I think Rebecca will get the remaining shares, you know, the thing that she desperately wants from her ex-husband that she can't have. And I don't remember what the other side of the wager was, but over the course of a few minutes, you see Jason Sudeikis, he's talking very casually, very upbeat as he always is. And he's talking about how Rupert, is one of these guys that probably doesn't really stop to listen and and ask questions about the person that they're interacting with. And he throws a bullseye, you know, as he's saying that. And And he continues talking and you start to realize... Okay, Ted Lasso has completely just swindled this guy. What's the what's the phrase in betting when you? <laughs> there's a phrase that means specifically to do this, where you trick someone into thinking that you're no good at the task, and then you and then in turn, you're a ringer, right?
0: You're a ringer, yeah, yeah. You're a ringer. Is that it? There's
1: a there's another phrase I think too. So anyway, he uh, very clearly and he keeps talking and he describes. You know, maybe if you'd ask me a little bit about me, you'd know that every Sunday my dad and I used to play darts. And it was the best part of my week. And he throws another bullseye, you know, and suddenly you realize that, that Ted is going to win this bet. And it's out of hubris that Rupert just assumed that he was sort of no good at it. Just like he's not really any good at coaching football, you know, uh, soccer. (laughs) So anyway, and then only as we get further into the season and he actually gets into this therapeutic relationship with um, his therapist. Does it come out that when he was a teenager, his father died by suicide? And it, for a show that's very funny and very lighthearted, this was a very powerful, emotionally powerful moment. And it paid off all of these prior moments. You know, why would a guy remember and tell that story and be so good at darts in that way? It's just, they, they, they just drop that like a little bit, like a little breadcrumb for, for us to pick up you know, several episodes later in this payoff of knowing why he is reacting to this tragic family circumstance and, and how much of that informs his personality as it is now.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's it's really something because he his relentless positivity, first of all, they do a great job of making it endearing rather than annoying, yep. which in real life, I think, would, would be challenging. Right. But I would say that I'm curious... If you find that it's possible to deliberately become relentlessly positive as a response to trauma?
1: No, I don't think it's possible to deliberately do it. I think that there is a, I know that there is a Freudian defense mechanism called reaction formation, where you sort of act and believe and think in the exact opposite manner in which your unconscious mind is sort of processing things. And so if you hate something, you think that you love it. And if you love something, you think that you hate it or you act like you hate it. And for him, To some extent, I think that's at play. And to some extent, there's this unconscious drive not to be abandoned and to be good enough for people to stick around. So the other emotionally salient part of this show to me is that he's moved to England. He's an American with a son and a divorcing ex-wife. I'm not sure the terminology to use. They're in the process of divorce in season one or separation. And then I think by season two, they're, they're divorced or getting divorced. And, you know, there's at least part of season one is devoted toward this idea of if he can just fix it, if he can just be good enough, maybe the relationship will continue, will, will, will heal and they'll be able to stay together. And part of his relentless positivity is something I think that's presented as something that makes the relationship not work because it's inauthentic. It's not allowing for the full gravity of, of of emotion to exist in their relationship. So that is another example of how, you know, it's it's coming out in this way that is at least at the unconscious level, it's meant to be you know, sort of protective and adaptive, but in fact, it's maladaptive. It's the same principle as the panic attacks. At some level, it's supposed to be protecting you from the dangers of the world, but in fact, it's doing the exact opposite. It's, it's giving you exposure to danger that is not there. So, that, so that's what
0: advice a, would you give Ted that maybe differs from how the marvelous Dr. Sharon is treating him?
1: Well, the first difference is I, I wouldn't <laughs> let, me, let me just say, I, I adore the people who put the show together. I don't know who they are besides Jason Sudeikis, but I'm sure it's a group of really talented people. They did a, a masterful Brent job. Fred
0: Goldstein, Roy Kent is another one of the writers. Wow. Uh-huh. And I don't remember, uh, I want to say Brandon Hunt, who is uh-huh. plays Coach, Coach Beard, Beard. Is, yeah. is the third in the triumvirate. So. Wow.
1: Well, yeah. they, they do a really great job. But one and and so I can't I can't ding them for wanting to make the therapist a more interesting character. But the boundaries. We talked about this <laughs> when we talked about yes. Russian doll. I think any show actually that was the other show that we talked about with a the therapist. Any mm-hmm. show where the the therapist is a main character, you're gonna end up in these boundary situations because it's it's so tempting for the writers to put in there. So, you know, somehow, I don't know how many times Jason Sudeikis, Ted Lasso ends up in the therapist's apartment, right? I don't know how many times they write these tier four. Filled letters to each other and disclose things about, you know, the therapist in the, in real life, you know, like it's really not a good idea to get into, you can be, you can have positive feelings for your patients and vice versa. You can have negative feelings. You can have all kinds of feelings, but you can't, you know, open the door of, of behavior, the way that she has in the show of like embracing, you know, that, oh, this is kind of like a co-therapy, you know, you're going to make me better as I make you better, you know, which is how the show ends up sort of presenting it. There's healing happening on both sides as a therapist and psychiatrist. That is anathema to to how I was trained. People listening might say, well, that's not right. Why can't you just be a human being uh, like she is on the show? It's just not a good idea because part of the whole foundation of therapy is that I'm going to leave my stuff at the door. When you come in, we're going to look at your stuff. That's the whole point of it, right? We can connect as human beings, but, but... whatever stressing thing is happening to me, whatever's making me grumpy that day, that's not going to make it into my sessions if I'm doing a good job. Right. So right. That that's that's one thing about the therapy. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. Now, in terms of his actual symptoms of like having panic attacks, panic panic disorder is one of the conditions where there's a really well-established therapy called uh, exposure therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy with an exposure component. This is a pretty straightforward kind of thing, and it would be highly effective for him. There are also some medications that can help reduce the likelihood of panic attacks or you know lessen their their impact if they if they do happen. So, you know that would be the focus there, but then, in a in a more insight oriented therapy, it would be wonderful to actually talk about getting Ted to understand that some of his behaviors are the result of trying to sort of overcome being abandoned by the people he loves most and whether he can allow himself to experience the negativity of life just as fully as he experiences the positivity and let it all come out and and have those emotions and be with them. And if you're able to process those emotions, you're, you're going to be less likely to have it sort of seep out in these unconscious, uncontrolled, maladaptive ways.
0: That is extremely insightful. (laughs) I appreciate that. Um, That's the kind of thing I come to this podcast for. And in addition to participating myself and pretending to be a therapist, another person that I want to bring in before we circle the wagons here, Mm -hmm. Nate, Nate to me is an intriguing character because I think that Nate desperately needs therapy. He does. Desperately. Can you talk a little bit about... uh, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about Nate. Nate is... He starts basically as a glorified water boy, for lack of a better word. He's, you know, basically like the personal assistant to everyone on the team. They treat him like garbage. He's a nice guy. And over the course, I think that the show does this very well, over the course of the two seasons... Nate's mad as hell and he's not gonna take it anymore. And all of this, even though the team's abusive behavior has taken a turn, and even though he's been elevated, he's no longer a water boy now, he's an assistant coach, and he's much more involved in the real brains of the operation, it's still not enough for him. So can you talk a little bit about the trauma the trauma that laid the foundation for who he is? And where he's going by the end of season two.
1: Yeah, I think you you set it up very nicely because he is a guy who's experienced, and we see this in some of the uh, interactions he has with his parents, where he doesn't get a lot of respect. He's trying to put on a, he's trying to show off for his parents And they're unimpressed, to say the least.
0: Right, by absolutely everything. Um, One, it it really struck me, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, I was very moved by his whole effort to get this marvelous table at a local restaurant so that he could sort of flaunt to his parents that he'd really made it because he's in the main table you know, the spotlight table of this restaurant. Right. And he's treated with such contempt by the restaurant and by his parents and all around. And then you say to yourself, as you see this, and it saddens you, you think like, I see why you're mad.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it helps that uh, from the audience's perspective, we saw him as the water boy, which is sort of the culmination of his self worth uh, being devalued over the entire course of his life and you know his his appearance at least in the show is sort of made to be sort of dumpy unimpressive kind of compared to the athletes all around him these these like physical specimens you know um and he has these great ideas for their actual game play right? right and so to his credit, Ted Lasso and Coach Beard, they welcome him in and they offer him a coaching role and they give him opportunities. But instead of being thankful, after however many decades of being told he was not good enough and not worth anything, he continues to be angry that that they're not appreciating him for what he brings to the table. That he he thinks you know, and he's probably right that in terms of X's and O's, he's a better coach than Ted Lasso is, but he doesn't have that secret sauce of like making the players inspired or you know connecting with their, with the players in the same way. And so instead of being appreciative and showing gratitude for the opportunity, and they, they treat him with respect just like uh, you know you would want to be treated, They're just like he wished he had been treated his entire life, he goes the entire opposite direction, 180 degrees is becomes almost a tyrant.
0: Is, I'm going to throw in there. I'm going to stop you and say, is that plausible? Is that something that you see as a reaction to abuse for people to become in their own way an abuser?
1: Yeah, I think we we brought this, I brought this phrase up once in a prior podcast, there's a, a concept of identifying with the aggressor, sort of mm-hmm. becoming the thing that you've been victimized by. And again, that's, it's a complicated concept that mostly is used in the sort of child psychiatry realm. But I think it does apply here in the sense that he, he is going, you know, if you think of it as a pendulum, it has swung way in the opposite direction. Does that happen in real life? Yeah, probably sometimes. I think it's probably exaggerated a bit on the show for dramatic mm-hmm. effect, just like the therapist and their role and their relationship was exaggerated. But, you know, it's it's something that adds a lot of great intrigue, you know, and it's sort of set up that season three, he's going to now be the head coach of a really uh, prestigious team that maybe Rupert has just bought, I think. The ex-husband mm-hmm. I think so. bought this other team. So it's setting up the drama really nicely. Psychologically you know i think a guy like this is going to is probably going to waver back and forth between grandiosity and feeling no self-worth whatsoever so to some degree being treated like you have no worth by your parents for your entire life is a recipe for narcissism because then you have to constantly prove yourself, prove that you're better mm. than. And if you start right. doing that, you can start believing that sometimes, not all the time. And and then when you let yourself down, then you feel like totally empty, totally worthless once again.
0: Oh, so sad. Yeah. So sad. I mean, I, you know, I but but yet I feel this podcast teaches me a lot too, because I, I wonder, you know, Ted Lasso's, Self-created coping mechanisms are much more palatable to us, and I'd say us as though we were in the show, which of course no, we we are not. But in other words, people like Ted who cope by being super nice and super accommodating and all these things, we like that. We like it when someone brings us delicious biscuits. I mean, mm-hmm. I haven't lived in a world in which someone brings <laughs> me homemade biscuit, but I, I would I I would not be opposed to that. Yeah. As opposed to Nate, who is coping by lashing back at people and by trying to take aggressively what he's been denied. And so You know, you talked a little bit about how the therapist needs to kind of distance himself or herself as a person from what's going on. But what do you do? I guess, how do you respond to that as a person? Because it's part of your job to try to make other people's coping mechanisms more palatable to, I mean, Nathan seems, Nathan or Nate, seems more... Happy in a weird way now that he's this Darth Vader of, yeah, <laughs> of, it's, of Ted Lasso,
1: right? It's it's almost it's not even like happiness so much as like he's thriving. Uh, you know he's he's if he was going at five miles an hour before he's just driving at sixty miles an hour now a hundred miles an hour you know he's like going and going you know he's he's got more energy more you know whatever it is essence of his like uh I don't know fortitude and and he's just like going but is he happy he's probably at the end of the day I bet he falls asleep thinking about how he messed something up that day and he's still just. Mm you know no good you know that he's just not any good that's the that's the challenge the drama of low self-esteem is that it's impossible to live up to the version of yourself that you wish you could all the time mm-hmm. and when someone with low self-esteem looks back on their day, they're bound, you know, this is part of the psychopathologies, they're bound to look back and find little pieces that didn't live up to what they wanted it to. And that's what they focus on.
0: Inevitably.
1: I mean. Like everyone, right. So the therapy with, with, with someone like Nate would be focusing on, you know, acknowledging the parts more readily as they happen. Like, Oh, that wasn't fun. That's not good. Acknowledging the things that are good you know, with equal mm. weight, being open to the entire breadth of the human experience.
0: Can we finish? Can I just ask you, please, what is with the spitting at the mirror? What is that?
1: This is This something Nate does.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He, like, so... t- his like private pep talk is he goes into the bathroom
1: uh-huh.
0: and he looks at himself and then he just like hawks a huge loogie <laughs> at his face. And that is sort of, in other words, it's the ultimate turning inward of all the abusive behavior that he's now spewing out at everybody else, Mm -hmm. which to me, those moments resonate so much because number one, he, he really despises himself. Mm -hmm. And number two, he finds that in a weird Again, I'm not supposed to be judging, but to me, I don't really understand. It's very unsettling to see, to me, how he finds that empowering. That's his pep talk to himself, is spitting in his own face.
1: It's almost like he feels like he's the only, until sort of he adopts this persona of being this Darth Vader character, it's almost like he looks at himself as the only one he can look down upon you know, that he could, it's, it, there's no one else in the world that he could uh, have dominance over and sort of, you know, degrade in that way. So he degrades himself and there's something weirdly self-satisfying about that for him because of his low self-esteem. And I don't know, that's something, I don't know. I, I'll I'll say that in in uh, 10 years of practice, I haven't seen that in real life, but you can When imagine. people tell you? They probably would not tell me. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing is he's all alone, all by himself when he's doing that. Right. So mm-hmm. it's, it's almost like the truest reveal of how he really feels about himself because there's no one there except he's looking right at himself. But yeah, I wonder would maybe, maybe people do, <laughs> maybe people do this. I hope not.
0: Right. If, and if you do, we encourage you to please message us Unless, no, I, I draw the line, Jordana. Do not. <laughs> no, I want to hear it. I want to hear it. I'm. I'm very interested, actually. G- message Jordana. Me, about yes, message this. me. But yes, <laughs> totally message me because I want to hear if you do this because to me, you know, it's the ultimate dead end because to me, if that's what you do when you look in the mirror at yourself. Mm how are you ever going to find, you're you're never, to me, it it seems inevitable. You're never going to find happiness. You're never going to be satisfied because that person is, that's who's with you every day. Like you're, you're stuck with that person, Right. you know, you can switch jobs, you can leave a marriage, Right. you know, you can abandon your family, but like at the end of the day, that's the person in the mirror you're stuck with.
1: Right. So closing thought you know and this is a sort of a core tenet of therapy is you know you can change all kinds of things in your life but the most powerful thing you can do is change the aspects of yourself and how you exist with them in your own mind so you know that's that's the uh that that's the let's get Nate some therapy next season you know yes i don't yes. think he will let's. i think i think he'll be a wonderful villain in season 3 but let's uh we'll circle back and talk about it as always jordana thank you so much what a pleasure i love this show it's, I love uh, this show so much. It's one that several friends and and listeners have asked to uh, for us to do. So I think that it's been it hasn't been airing while we've been doing this podcast, and so it wasn't like on the top of our list. But it's definitely one that we needed to cover. I think.
0: Yes. And when, and when it comes back, I think that we need to reopen the discussion and really talk about it more.
1: Definitely. hundred percent. Thanks
0: so much. Bye-bye.
1: Bye everybody. Please be advised that characters on the couch is a show focused only on fictional people and none of the content should be considered medical or professional advice in any way. If you or someone you know is struggling with your mental health, please seek out professional consultation. Thank you
0: Thanks so much. Hope to see you guys next week.